Hello and welcome to worship. I'm Pastor Jason. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us online at Swiser Church today. Hope you're having a great day. If this is your first time, we'd love to send you a gift card. Say thanks for worshiping with, with us. If you just sign in and let us know you're here, we'll do that. Today, it's our third week in the Sermon on the Mount series. We're going to listen to Jesus talk about how he's come to fulfill the law and everything that the Lord has been doing that we read about in the Old Testament. We're going to hear a little bit about that in, in just a moment. Uh, if you'd like to go deeper with the sermon series, uh, check it all out. You can go to schweitzer.church slash next. They'll find, there you'll find some questions that go along with the sermon and the number of ways that you can connect, grow, grow deeper in your faith. Next up is Jen with some announcements, things that are happening right now. Let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Jen Brown and it's summertime. That means you might be out traveling on vacation, doing lots of things. And we want to let you know about a few resources that'll help you stay connected as you're traveling, wherever you're going. We Each week we post our online services on live on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045. We also have these on YouTube. We have them on podcast. So there's all kinds of ways you can stay connected, listen to messages, enjoy some worship music, no matter where you are or where you're traveling. So we just want to encourage you to stay connected this summer. We'll be continuing to talk to the message on Sermon on the Mount. And so keep listening to these messages wherever you go. This Friday night, June 17th, we're heading out to the Springfield Cardinals game together. If you haven't got your tickets yet, it is time. Today's your last day to pick up tickets to be able to join us. We hope you'll bring some friends, family, and we'll just enjoy a great night out together. Doors will open at 6.05, an hour before the game, and we'll have your tickets there and ready. Please sign up today at the Blue Booth or online at schweitzer.church next. Coming up on Saturday, July 9th, we're hosting a men's breakfast. This is a great opportunity for men of all ages to come out, get to know one another, enjoy a great breakfast, a small time of teaching. It'll be again, that's at 8 a.m. on Saturday 9th, and we hope you'll be there. You can sign up at Schweitzer.church slash men. And speaking of men, next week is Father's Day. We're excited. We're going to have a churro truck, and all men who come will get a coupon for a free churro. We know we'll have a blast, so make sure you bring the, the guys in your life, dads, grandpas, whoever, uncles, all the guys. So we hope you'll see you next week. And again, thanks for being with us today. Let's continue in worship. Thanks, Jen. Now, if you're worshiping with us live, we encourage you to take a moment. Uh, say hello to your friends in the chat feature. If you like prayer, there's somebody who would be happy to pray with you today. Now we continue in our worship. Let's worship the Lord together. How can I say thanks for the things you have done? Deserved, yet you give to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it to God be the 
Come to a time of prayer, I'd like to invite you to join me in this prayer that Richard Foster has composed for us called a, a prayer of relinquishment. I invite you to lift up our hearts together today. Today, O oh Lord, we yield ourselves to you. May your will be our delight today. May your way have a perfect sway in us. May your love be the pattern of our living. Help us to surrender our hopes, our dreams, and our ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, and as you will. We place into your loving care our families, our friends, our future. Care for them with a care that we can never give. And help us to release into your hands our need of control our craving for status, our fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil, purify the good, and establish your kingdom here on earth. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. if you would please join me in saying the prayer Jesus taught us we say our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever Amen Giving is a part of worship. And when we give, the Lord does all kinds of things with it. One of the things he does is he blesses us because he does a work in us. The other thing he does is he takes those gifts and he begins to do his work in all kinds of ways throughout the community and within the church. And one of the ways that, that the Lord has been taking gifts and, 
and blessing the community and the church is through the gift of music. So Cheryl Mall, our director of, of traditional worship, is going to be sharing with us some ways that music has been impacting uh, people in Schweitzer and throughout the community. So let's take a listen to Cheryl. Hi, I'm Cheryl Mall, and I'm the director of music and traditional worship at Schweitzer. It's my privilege to be a part of the music ministry at Schweitzer, which includes the Schweitzer Choir, Singer Saint Choir, and Joy Picker Band. Let me tell you a little bit about these groups. If you've attended the traditional worship on Sunday morning, you're probably familiar with the Schweitzer Choir. This choir provides music on Sunday morning, and it's our goal to give glory to God through song. Each week at rehearsal, we work hard, have fun, and lift each other up in prayer and in celebration. This wonderful choir is made up of people who are dedicated and talented and who love to sing together. The other groups you may not be as familiar with is the Singer Saint Choir and the Joy Picker Band. The people in these groups have a heart to share their music, especially with the people in retirement communities. Our programs consist of a mix of secular music and sacred music, and the audiences love it. Both the choir and the band are important outreach ministries in our church, and it's because of your generosity that we're able to make this happen. If you'd like to be a part of the music ministry, please contact me. Thank you. Thanks, Cheryl, for that great word about the music ministry at Schweitzer. Uh, we can continue to give and support the ministry happening here by going to schweitzer.church give or by going out of the Church Center app. Thank you for your faithful, generous giving, which makes all kinds of ministry possible. May the Lord bless you. Now, are you ready? It's a great day to be ready for week three in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's enter into worship by hearing the sermon. Blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Seek God's kingdom, care for widows, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, give, pray, fast. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. This is part three of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is this teaching, the sermon that Jesus gives. It's in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And it is like one of the most incredibly important and influential parts of the Bible. I mean, throughout history, people have looked at the Sermon on the Mount as, as so much to teach us about, about how to live in the kingdom of God. And that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus is teaching us, how do you live? What does life look like in the kingdom of God? Now, as we walk through this uh, series, we're, we're taking our time. We're gonna, we started this on Memorial Day weekend. We're going to end this on Labor Day weekend all summer long. I think that's like 15 weeks. It's so long. But we're going to take our time on this because it's so important as we just read through this slowly to learn and to, and to hear from Jesus what life looks like in the kingdom of God. Now, most of the series is going to be really, really practical. I mean, next week we're going to talk about anger. The week after that, we're going to talk about sex. And then after that, we're going to talk about marriage and divorce. And then how we use our words. We're going to talk about uh, revenge and, and how we treat our enemies. Like really, really practical things. But, but today, as we're still in the beginning stages 
of the sermon. It's only part three. Uh, Jesus is, is still in the stage of the sermon where he's setting the table for what, what the big idea is. I mean, the, the big idea, he, he establishes that today. This is like the big idea of the sermon is what we're going to read today. And then it gets lived out in all these examples like anger and sex and marriage and divorce and how we use our words. But, but what we, we're going to read today is like the big idea that, that if you don't get this, you're going to miss so much of what Jesus says later on um, in the sermon. So let's get into this. Matthew chapter five, we're in verse 17, which is picking up right where we left off last week. And here's what Jesus says. Matthew five, verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now the law and the prophets, this is the Old Testament law, the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament law is considered the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Sometimes you might hear that called the Torah. And in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there are 613 different commandments. Somebody counted, not me, but somebody, somebody counted 613 different commandments. That's why it's called the law. This is how you live. It's this instruction on what life is like for the people of God, for for the people of Israel. The prophets is the Old Testament prophets, and it's really about applying this and living into this in, in different circumstances. The prophets are teaching about how to live in the path of God. He goes on and says, um, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, as you read this line, I've not come to abolish the Old Testament law of the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. If you kind of read between the lines just a little bit, I think you can, you can hear some controversy that must have been brewing for Jesus. Like there must have been some chatter out in the towns and villages where Jesus had been traveling to to say that, you know, Jesus is teaching about this new way of the kingdom. It must be that he wants to get rid of the, you know, Old Testament law and the prophets. But Jesus doesn't want to get rid of the Old Testament law and the prophets. That's not what he says. He's, he says, I've not come to abolish these things. I've, I've come to, to fulfill them. So, so what does that mean? I've come to fulfill them. I know, I know a lot of us struggle with the Old Testament. Uh, this is not a new thing. I mean, a lot of us read the Old Testament law and prophets and we, we kind of wonder, you know, what are we supposed to do with this? We're supposed to keep these commandments. We're we not supposed to keep these commandments. How do we interact with these kinds of things? And, and this struggle is, is not a new struggle uh, for Christians, not, not a new struggle at all for Christians. In fact, the very early church, like that first generation of Christians, they also struggled with this question of what do we do with the Old Testament law and the prophets? How do we, how do we understand them and, 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 and interact with them? And in the very, very early church, that first generation of Christians, there was these, these people, we called them Judaizers. And, and what they were teaching was that even after you come to Christ and you put your trust and your faith in Him, you've converted, you're fully following Him, they were teaching that you still need to follow all of the law and the prophets. And so they were teaching like Gentile men who were to come and find Christ. Well, they were teaching that they needed to be circumcised because that's what the law said to do. The whole book of Galatians in the New Testament is about this the struggle between with the early church of how do we interact and what do we do with the Old Testament law? Now, in the modern church, our struggle is really the exact opposite. It's not so much how much of the law do we keep, but in the modern church, there is this real struggle of do we keep any of it? I mean, the modern church, you, we, we look at the Old Testament law and, and there's a lot of us who just kind of outright dismiss it altogether because we think to ourselves, well, that's, you know, that's the old covenant. And we're new covenant. So that's the old covenant. We have to keep that anymore. And, and so it's a, it's a rare thing when you come across somebody who takes, you know, the, these Old Testament laws seriously. I mean, think about, for instance, uh, keeping the Sabbath day holy. That's like one of the top 10, right? It's a top 10, one of the 10 commandments. But, but how odd is it if you find a modern Christian 
who takes that seriously and says, you know, this is how I'm going to live my life is by by taking a day to rest and to worship and to really make this the focus of my life. It's an, it's an odd thing when you encounter it today. I have, I have this friend who's got kids about my kid's age and, and my friend has told the kids' coaches in sports that they will not be at any games on Sunday. Like that's a countercultural thing to do. Now, why did he do that? Well, he did it because of this command to keep the Sabbath day holy. Like he takes that seriously. And, and you hear that and you're like, wow, that is a really hard stand that not a lot of modern Christians would even consider to take because we've, you know, we've just kind of dismissed the Old Testament as not being relevant anymore. And so you kind of have these two struggles. I think it's really interesting to think about how the earliest Christians struggled with too much law and modern Christians, we, we struggle with like not enough law. And, and yet Jesus is talking about something altogether different where he says, you know, I'm not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill the law. Fulfill, that's what, that's what he says. Now the word fulfill is really important in the Bible, especially in the book of Matthew, which we're reading from. There's time after time after time after time where, where Jesus will do something. And the New Testament, especially the book of Matthew, will say that, that whatever it is that Jesus did, that, that thing, and then it'll say like, fulfilled the word spoken by and then like a prophet, like Isaiah or a prophet Jeremiah or one of the prophets, like this thing that Jesus did, it fulfilled this Old Testament word that was spoken because as Matthew or the other writers of the New Testament look at the Old Testament, one of the things that they see is that the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. And that's a great way to see the Old Testament, that it's pointing towards Jesus. It's pointing us towards the work that Jesus is going to do, that, that this is one of the ways that he fulfills the Old Testament law is that it's pointing towards him. I mean, I think about, for example, the Old Testament law is about animal sacrifice. You know, you sacrifice a lamb for the forgiveness of sins. Well, we don't do that anymore. We don't sacrifice animals because Jesus fulfilled that Old Testament law. It was pointing to him. He became the sacrificial lamb. And so we don't sacrifice animals anymore, not because we don't need to be forgiven, but because Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Or, or we don't keep the dietary laws as modern Christians, not because you know, we know better or it's, we know we're smarter today, but, but rather because what Jesus did was he declared everything clean. That's Acts chapter 10. He fulfilled that. He was, was pointing towards how Jesus was going to declare everything clean. And so as we think about the Old Testament, this is a great thing to think about. It. It's pointing towards Jesus. And so Jesus is really clear. Don't dismiss the Old Testament. And there's, there's some reasons for this. One is it's pointing to him. So if you don't ever read the Old Testament or study it, you're going to miss Jesus because it's all pointing to him. Two, another reason why you need to study and read the Old Testament is because this is the word of God. It's showing us the path that God has for us. And so certainly read and study and, and, and understand this because this is the path of life that God has given us. And then three, you know, the law and the prophets were themselves the Bible that Jesus read. And so if you don't understand that, you're never going to understand what it is that Jesus is getting at. So we don't dismiss the Old Testament law and prophets. We we understand it. We live into it. We, we follow it because this is what Jesus teaches. And then he goes on. Um, he says, I've not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. And then he goes on, verse 18. He says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, which by the way is a little inside joke because there's a Hebrew letter called Yod, which is a really little, just like a stroke of a pen. So he's talking about that. Just an inside joke. He says, not the least stroke of a pen, while by any means 
disappear from the law until everything is accomplished, until, until the kingdom of God that he is coming to bring is fully accomplished. And then verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then comes verse 20. And if you're reading from your Bible today, you need to underline verse 20. You need to circle it. You need to highlight it because verse 20 is the big idea of the Sermon on the Mount. This is so important. Here's what he says in verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm gonna read that to you again. It's so important. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you were sitting there that day and you heard Jesus you know, preach this sermon on the hill and you're sitting there on the hill and you're listening to it, you would have been nodding along at the things that Jesus is saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the mournful, blessed are the meek, right? Yeah, yeah. Blessed are the hunger and thirst for righteousness, you were nodding along at this. You know, you were the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You were nodding along. You know, he would have talked about how I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. You were nodding along. You would have looked over to your friend and be like, I see, I told you that he wasn't going to do that because, you know, that was the controversy. And then Jesus would have come to this line and he said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpassed that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly enter the kingdom of heaven. Your nodding would have stopped because, because that statement would have floored you. That life in the kingdom of God, that it possesses a, a righteousness, or, or let's say like a, a right living, that surpasses the Pharisees and the teacher of the law. This is astounding that this is where Jesus is pointing us to. Right living that surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, I don't know what you know about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, a lot of times the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, they, they kind of have a bad reputation. Uh, and it's and it's and it's unfortunate. I mean, in modern times today, if you know someone calls you a Pharisee, they're calling you a, a hypocrite. But the Pharisees that teach the law were not bad people. They had really good intentions. They got a little off, but they had good intentions. I mean, historically, the Pharisees were this group of people who cared deeply about their nation. They cared deeply about it. And what they had seen is that historically the people of God had been oppressed. And so for 500 years, about 500 years before this happened, uh, the, the uh, Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah were destroyed by the Babylonians. And after the Babylonians came the Persians. After the Persians came the Greeks. So think Alexander the Great. After Alexander's kingdom was divided, um, eventually the Romans came and they conquered Israel as well. And so for 500 years, you have had the people of God oppressed and stepped on and had no freedom or, or sovereignty. And, and the Pharisees were this group of people who looked at this tragedy of their nation and they said, you know what? We have been unrighteous. We haven't been following God's path. And so therefore we've experienced this judgment upon ourselves. And this is, this is what we have. And you got the Romans who are over them at this point. And you know, the Romans, if you get out of step with them, you get crucified. And so the, the Pharisees are like, we need to be coming back to God's path, what he's taught us, what he's led us to. And and so they became very focused on all of the commands in the Bible. And so this, this is why if, if Jesus had said your righteousness is supposed to surpass them, it would have been just a, 
It would have floored you because no one's righteousness can surpass the Pharisees. They were so focused on making sure that we were on the right path. They were so focused on on the laws and the commandments. They were so focused, in fact, that sometimes what they did is they created rules like on top of the commandments. Like you have the commandment, let's say, I don't know, uh, keeping the Sabbath day holy. It's a good one to think about. Top 10, right? 10 commandment. And so the, the Pharisees were like, well, let's really make sure we, we, we follow this because this is what God has for us. And so then they created like these rules on top of it, right? The Sabbath day, you're supposed to keep it holy. You're not supposed to work, you're supposed to worship. And so people might've wondered, okay, so I'm not supposed to work, but you know, what is work? Can I prepare food? And so they created a rule on top of that. It's like, yeah, you can prepare food, but you can't cook, no fire. Or, you know, can I visit my friend on the Sabbath? And they're like, yeah, you can visit your friend, but you can only walk so far. Or what if my animal is hurt? How do I tend to it? And so they, they have these rules, the commandments, and then they develop these rules on top of the commandment in, in order to just protect them from ever breaking the commandment. And this is how the, the Pharisees, uh, this is how they, they, they lived, and this is what they were, were teaching everybody towards. And, and they had these rules on top of the commandment, which, which really introduces us then to the, to the danger of what happens when you look to the rules to do more than what the rules can actually accomplish. And this is the real danger of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, is that they started to look to the rules to do things that rules could never actually do for us. And we call this danger of elevating the rules too high. We call this danger, we call it legalism. That we are starting to look to rules to accomplish things that rules could never actually do for us. So several years ago, I had this woman approach me um, at a church I served in between the worship services, and, and she wanted to talk to me um, about her, her son, right? Actually, she didn't want to talk to me about her son. She wanted me to talk to her son, her adult son, who was making some bad decisions. I mean, you can imagine. I don't need to get into the bad decisions, self-destructive kinds of decisions. I mean, we all can all understand what those kinds of things were. And so she wanted me to talk to her adult son about the decisions. Now, the son wasn't there, of course, that day, but so she wanted me to call him and, and she wanted me, me, me to talk to him. And, you know, this is something that happens on a fairly regular basis in my life. Maybe it never happens for you, but someone will, will ask me, hey, will you talk to, you know, my relative or my friend about this thing that's going on? And, and, and you can imagine the situation, you know, in, 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 her, in her case, you know, her son is making these bad choices and she wants this pastor to call her son the son doesn't know the pastor. So, you know, I'd be calling out of the blue, be a cold call. You can imagine how that goes when you get a cold call from a pastor who wants to talk to you about all the bad things that you're doing in your life and how you need to change. And, and you can imagine that sometimes that doesn't go real well. So I've learned in those situations to always ask a follow-up question. And so I asked this woman the follow-up question, which is, which is this, um, does your son want to talk to a pastor? Because I've learned that if you don't ask that question and you just make the call, sometimes that actually causes more harm than not making the call. Sometimes it, it causes a lot of harm. So I've always, I've always, you know, asked that follow-up question. I'm happy to do it. I really am happy to do it, but I'm going to make sure that they want to talk to me because they don't. Man, it just can cause a lot of other, a lot of other issues. And so I ask her the question, does your son want to talk to me? Does he want to talk to a pastor? And she says, well, well, no, I, ha- I haven't asked him. But I, I just thought, she goes on, I just, I just thought that, you know, if, if he had someone other than his mom call him and, and just, it'd be helpful, you know, to explain to him the rules. 
And I heard her say that, and you know, I didn't say anything, but out loud, or in my mind at least, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, the rules? What, what is she talking about? She wants this pastor to call her son to talk about the rules. And I must have been really confused in my, in my, in my face because she, she follows that up and she says, I just, I just think if, if he knew the rules of the Bible, then, then he'd make some different decisions. And I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. I, I, I get what you're saying. And this poor mom, I, I, I feel for you. I really do. Your son is self-destructing, but your strategy is wrong. Your strategy is that if he just knew the rules, then he would live differently because what you're doing is you're, you're elevating the rules into a place that rules can't actually fulfill. They're, you're elevating them to, to accomplish something that they can't actually do. I, I think about it like this. You know, we have these commands in the Bible, these rules, and they, they create like a line, right? There's a line here. And we know that on the other side of this line, this is, this is what's wrong. This is, this is sin. And so we don't want to cross that line. We know that when we cross that line, you know, we, first of all, we sin against God. We also harm ourselves because the sin is, is not just, you know, uh, neutral. It actually brings harm to ourselves and to our neighbor or to our relationship with the Lord. And so we have this line and we, we don't want to cross it because over on the other side is sin. And we know that's wrong. Um, and so what we, what we start to do is we think, okay, well, here's the line. This is where sin is at. I don't want to go over on that side. But, but how close can I get to the line? before I, you know, go past the line. And this is what we start to do with, with these rules. And this is why it's unable to change our life is because we see this rule, we're like, well, how do I, how do I, you know, how close can I get? Like, I know I can't say, you know, certain words, but can I say like these other words? Is that okay? Is that getting too close to the line? Or, 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 or I know I can't look at, you know, certain websites, but can I look at these other websites? Or I know I can't say that thing about him because that's gossip, but can I say these other things? And so we start to think to ourselves, like, how close to the line can I get? And then when we get, we start to get a little bit closer and it's like, man, this feels good because sin always starts off feeling good. And you start getting closer and closer to the line. And, and, and eventually you're, you're like right on top of the line. You're kind of like towing the line a little bit. And then, and then you're like, maybe just I'll, I'll put like a little foot over on the other side, but I'm not like fully over there, but we just try to get as close as we can to the line without crossing it until eventually, you know what? We're, we're really just walking on the other side of that line. We've, we've walked and we've crossed over into the life of rebellion and sin and disobedience and, and there's harm that comes to us. There's harm that comes to our neighbor. It's never a neutral thing. And, and we've, we've gone over there. And, and the reason we did that was because we were depending on a rule to change our life when a rule could never actually do that. That's the problem with depending on rules. We're elevating them so high that, that we start to look to them to do things that they can't actually do. And the rules can't actually change our lives. And that's what Jesus is really about. He's about changing our lives. Last week, we talked about it in terms of this, that there were two paths that you can walk in your life. And we use Romans chapter 12, verse two to frame those two paths because I just, I think the clarity of that verse is so helpful. And if you remember from last week, Romans chapter 12, verse two goes like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's like these two paths that you can take in your life. You can conform to the patterns of this world. You can do everything that everyone else does. That's how you can live your life. You can, you can live however you want to live as long as it follows certain, certain you know, the, the patterns that the world sets. Or you can be transformed. And this is really what Jesus is after. He's not just after making us better, morally good people. He's after transformation. He wants our lives to actually change. And, and this is how 
our righteousness or our right living starts to surpass the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, not because we get more moral, but because we start to change on the inside, which is really what Jesus is all about, is he wants to bring transformation on the inside. The renewing of our minds is how Romans 12 says it, which Jesus is all about. He wants to talk to us about, well, what's really going on on the inside? So if we flash forward just a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount, you can see how this gets played out, how Jesus is so interested, not just in our behavior, how do, how do you outwardly keep the rules, but he's really interested in well, what's going on on the inside. So we just look forward a little bit. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, some, some uh, Ten Commandments. Jesus brings up the, ne- the first commandment that he's going to talk about. Next week, we're going to look at this, is the commandment, do not murder. Now, I'm not going to make any judgments about anyone who's watching this today, but I can tell you that's not a commandment I've broken. I can check that one off the list. But Jesus, he's not just interested in the behavior of have you followed the rule. He's really interested in, the, in the, where the, the uh, murder might originate from. And so he's going to really want to talk about things like anger and contempt. And now it's like, oh, yeah, I definitely have that inside me. Definitely I lose my temper. Definitely there are times where I hold people in contempt instead of giving them, I'm thinking about them in the way that God has intended. And yeah, if that's where that originates, that's what Jesus is really interested in. The week after that, we're going to talk about adultery. But again, Jesus isn't just interested in the physical act of breaking that commandment. He wants to talk about where does that originate from? And so we're going to talk about cultivating lust. And then we're going to talk a few weeks after that about, about revenge. You're like, oh my goodness, we're going to talk about this, these things that all happen on the inside because the righteousness, the right living that Jesus is after for us is not just that we get really good at being outwardly religious, but that we have something that's actually changing on the inside. That the way that we see the world the way that we feel about things, the way we handle our emotions, the way that we, that we have appetites and desires and cravings for things, that these actually start to change so that we become different kinds of people. That's the right living that surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because that's something that rules could never accomplish. The great author, uh, Dallas Willard, he, he says it like this. This is Jesus' intention. I think this is so wise and so good. But he says this, that Jesus knew that we cannot keep the law by trying to keep the law. In other words, that rules weren't sufficient for us to become the kinds of people that God wants us to be. And then he goes on, he says this, to succeed in keeping the law, one must aim at something other and something more. One must aim to become the kind of person from whom the deeds of the law naturally flow. The apple tree, as an example, naturally and easily produces apples because of its inner nature. This is the kingdom righteousness that Jesus wants for us. Not just that we're good at outwardly being religious, but that we become the kinds of people on the inside from whom righteousness naturally flows. That our character, our minds, our hearts, our desires, our cravings, that these start to be conformed to what God wants or transformed into what he has for us. So as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, this is what we're going to see played out week after week after week is this call to transformation. And it's really a call to look inward. And it's a call to consider our own hearts and our own minds and our own lives of of not just how outwardly religious am I being? Because here's the truth. It is easy, it is easy just to go through the motions. It is 
easy to be outwardly religious where what Jesus is really interested in is our hearts of who are we becoming on the inside? What is our thought life like? What is our emotional life like? What is our character like? What are we naturally drawn to? This is where real righteousness or real right living actually shows up. And so today, this is the big idea of the whole sermon. We're gonna get really practical in the next few weeks, but today what I want us to do is just consider this. What is going on on the inside of our lives? Are we far from God? Are we walking with the Lord? Are we being conformed to the patterns of this world or do we feel and have been experiencing cultivating the transformation that God wants to work in us? We need to stop and consider, you know, how is our soul, how is our, our walk with the Lord and what's going on on the inside? Not just what we position to the world, but what's actually happening on the inside. Let's pray together. So Father, we hear these, these words from Jesus um, that our righteousness, our right living needs to surpass just rule keeping. It needs to surpass just uh, being really good on the outside of outwardly religion, of outwardly being religious. And what you want to do is really stir something deeply inside of us. And so sometimes, Lord, we just confess that we neglect the inside of our life. We, we, we neglect cultivating a relationship with you. We neglect cultivating a renewal of our mind by the reading of the word. We neglect trusting in you by prayer. We neglect these things that are deeply transformative. And instead, we just go through the motions of being outwardly religious but on the inside, we have neglected a deep and abiding relationship with you. And so, Father, would you convict us of this? And would you lead us into something deeper and more true and something that transforms us? Would you put in our hearts and our minds a desire and a drive to be, to be in your presence and to be around you and to not just be kind of the kinds of people who are outwardly religious, but rather the kinds of people whom right living just naturally flows. We want to follow you. We want to be made into your image and we want to love you. Thank you so much for the ways that you are transforming us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Hey friends, thanks for joining us in worship today. Trust that as, as we worship together, as we listen to that sermon, that the Lord spoke to your heart, that he encouraged you, comforted you, and challenged you for the next step that he has for you and for all of us in faith. If this encourages you, we encourage you to take a moment, share it with your friends, Share this with those around you who need to hear this good word. And finally, we want to say thanks to all those who helped with this worship today. Thanks to Jen and the worship team. Uh, thanks to Alec and the folks behind the scenes. Thanks to Spencer for that good word. We look forward to seeing you next week as we continue in this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be a good one. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. Bye-bye.
Done.